Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? Imagine if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about, kind, loving, Christian conversations. It's not a sermon or a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have conversations like this with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams, and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. Today, I'd like to invite you to listen to a conversation that I had with my friend, Caleb Cochran. This is a conversation about suffering with various types of anxiety. Caleb isn't a psychiatrist or a medical professional. He's an evangelist for the church in Rockville, Maryland, and he is personally someone who has suffered with anxiety, so he has a heart for ministering to others who suffer in this way. Whether or not you personally suffer with anxiety, you likely know someone who does. So this is a relevant discussion for us all. My onset with anxiety was at age 20. This was my sophomore year of college. And, um, you know, I've always, up to that point, uh, considered myself, you know, pretty worry-free, um, pretty comfortable in social situations and other things. Uh, never really felt uh, that uh, those types of things were a problem. I always felt like I handled stress pretty well. And then uh, sophomore year of college, especially the second semester, um, I just started uh, both mentally and physically really um, having a bit of a bit of a breakdown in many ways. Some of the first things I noticed were just some of the bodily manifestations of it. And sometimes that's the case. That's, that's anxiety as well as weird things. Sometimes you you detect the conscious thoughts of it uh, as the beginning, and other times it's more just the physical symptoms that show up first. So for me, for example, the dizziness, the headaches, um, feeling shaky, feeling nervous, you know, you, that butterfly feeling that everyone gets in their stomach sometimes, Yeah, that just gets amplified whenever you're starting to have some, some real anxiety. Uh, so, so yeah, some of that was going on. And looking back, for me, I think there, there were a combination of factors uh, that went into that. And maybe we can talk about that some more as we go on. But, but yeah, it was. It ended up my experience. Just to to give you just a brief overview, I ended up dropping out of my last few weeks of that second semester of college. Went back home. Um, just uh, stay with my parents for a bit. And we were just trying to figure out what was going on. I really didn't know much about anxiety at that point. We did uh, discover that I did have a, a physiological factor that was contributing to it, uh, something that many people have, hypoglycemia. Uh, so eating too much sugar, carbohydrates, mm -hmm. and then blood sugar bottoming out on you. So that was contributing to it. That can cause you to feel some of the same things that go along with anxiety. But even as I was getting that under control, I was still having a lot of the anxiety symptoms. Um, and for my experience, it it went on for the good part of, of two years almost. Uh, I missed two years of school. It may not have gone on throughout that entire time, but uh, I ended up um, staying out for, for two years. I finally got back to the point where I was able to, to ease my way back into to working again, and then eventually going back to, 
to school full time. But probably rock bottom for me was um, getting to the point where I was pretty withdrawn from from everything. I didn't want to be around people. People made me nervous. I didn't want people to see me the way I I was. I felt embarrassed about what I was going through. I started staying home from church. I just didn't feel comfortable there. Um, I feel like I, I don't ever feel like I went through questioning my faith during that time, but I just did not enjoy those, those social situations during that time. That was something that was new for me, but it was all kinds of things. I developed phobias that I'd never had before. Claustrophobia, tight spaces bothered me. I had other things, fear of driving. I got to where I, I stopped driving because of that tight space and, you know, playing out the what if scenarios that could happen yeah. while I'm driving. So, and then just some of the, the terrible physiological things that went along with it. Um, heart rate felt like it was increased constantly. Insomnia, I think probably my low point was when I went two complete nights uh, without sleeping at all, just racing thoughts, negative thoughts, you know, heart rate up and down in my chest. So all that going on. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a tough time. Yeah. Especially not knowing, um, you know, what, what all that, that was. I think over time, you know, it, it took, it took several different moments to, to really explore what, what was going on, the things that were contributing to it. Like many things, it's, it's not something that's simple. It's, there's complexity to it. There, there were multiple factors that contributed to it for me. And when it comes to treatment, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a little bit of recovery uh, from anxiety, or at least finding coping mechanisms and moving forward for those people that experience it. Um, it, it it's got to be a, a you got to approach it from multiple angles. Yeah. Uh, it's not something that has an easy fix. Uh, it can become very debilitating uh, for for um, for many people. So that's a little bit of my story. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, brother. And, and this may be too personal, but I I know that anytime that I've known somebody going through any sort of mental health issue, whether it be depression or anxiety or whatever the case may be, I know that there are are people that have a tendency, unfortunately, to say some rather insensitive things because it's a it's a an injury. That's not the right word, but uh, it's a condition that that people can't see. If somebody has a broken arm or they you know have some sort of a, a physical uh, disorder that they're dealing with, other people can see that. But when it's a mental health issue, other people can't see it. And oftentimes, I found that people will say insensitive things like, you know, just get over it or, or you need to have more faith or, you know, whatever the case may be. So were there people in your life that, uh, that said things like that, that, that just didn't understand what you were going through and were making the situation worse by some of the things they said? You know, I think I was fortunate not to deal with much of that personally. I know my family was very understanding of it. I have many friends that were understanding of it, even though, they didn't fully grasp, you know, what it was. Sure. But I, and I had some people reach out to me that I, I really appreciate who had been through um, anxiety of different kinds in their life, and that meant a lot to me. Fellow Christians uh, who talked with me uh, about that, 
but I, I have seen that more so in some other cases of some friends of mine where people have made comments uh, like that. I think it's definitely one of those things where um, many Christians want to oversimplify it, yeah. especially if they haven't dealt with it themselves. And they want to just say, well, this is just a faith issue. You just need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more, and, and, uh, and everything will be fine. And it's, it's not that way. It's something that is uh, more complex than that. And it also doesn't do any good just to say, well, just stop worrying. You yeah. know, it's not, it's not that easy. Yeah. Uh, there, there's much more going on uh, there. And, and, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into some of the complexity of that. But, but certainly that's something that Christians especially need to be aware of, of, of not trying to reduce uh, this to just a, a spiritual problem. Um, certainly the, you know, there's a spiritual aspect of it. Um, and I think there are multiple causes that can go into it, multiple factors that lead to it. And, uh, you know, certainly there, there are cases where, you know, one of those factors can be some spiritual issues that play a role in that, um, guilt, you know, over some spiritual issues, guilt over sin, uh, can certainly play a role in that. Um, I think of, uh, you know, a fictional story, probably a novel that a lot of us had to read in, in high school, The Scarlet Letter. Mm-hmm. There's a preacher in that, Arthur Dimsdale, and, and he's one that has uh, committed sexual sin and he doesn't want anyone to know about it, and he's holding this, this idea in, and uh, it's unconfessed sin, and it's eating away at him in the story, and he starts to develop a heart condition uh, very much uh, as I'm reading through that, you know, things that are manifestations of anxiety, bodily manifestations of that, and it is related to his sin and the guilt over that. Uh, but that is certainly uh, just one of many, many factors uh, that can lead to anxiety. Yeah, and I, I think that not only do people tend to uh, oversimplify what people are going through, but I think sometimes we oversimplify what Scripture says. You know, I think of the the dozens and dozens of passages that say things like "don't worry" or "be anxious for nothing" or "don't be anxious." And so I think about those passages and how they're often used uh, to just simply say, "Well, see there, the Bible says don't worry, and if you worry, then it's a sin, and you shouldn't do that." And then, like, and then they just kind of leave it at, at that, like that's what the Bible says, you know. And there's so much more to not only, again, like you said, what what people are going through, but I think there's so much more to what is really being communicated by God or by Jesus or by the apostles when they say, "Don't worry." Oh, absolutely. Uh, There is. And, you know, one thing I always say, if we just say, well, don't worry, it's it's that simple, and then we we even attribute worry to to being sinful. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you know, I I look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and here's someone who is very much dealing with a a stressful situation, and and the Bible says that... there is blood. His sweat was like blood. Now, it could be just a description of the thickness of it. It could actually be a—I'm uh, not a doctor by any means, but I, there's a rare condition. It's called uh, hematidrosis, where people that are under extreme stress can sometimes have blood come through their sweat pores. Mm-hmm. And um, that's an anxiety response, 
for people. Je- Jesus is anxious in that that moment, and yet the Bible is very clear that Jesus knew no sin. Uh, he he's not sinning in that moment, and yet he is having a bodily response uh, to mental stress. Uh, I mean, I take a lot of comfort in passages like that because again, it shows the humanity of Jesus, and it shows uh, that he experienced a lot of what we're experiencing too. So. So, yeah, we, we don't need to jump right in and say all anxiety is, is sinful. Some of it is just a built-in natural response uh, to to stressful things that, that we're experiencing. I think the sin can come in with how we how we handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, it's similar to anger. You know, the Bible, the Bible never says that we're never going to be angry. Um, it, anger in and of itself is not sinful. It's, it's how we handle it. Of those moments of anger, it's it's that we we don't succumb to the anger, we we don't let it uh, control us or consume us or, or act upon it in sinful ways. And I think anxiety is something similar to that. Some of it's going to be natural. I mean, the, the built-in uh, fight or flight uh, response is is something that we all experience at times, and that's part of how God made us. Um, it's just uh, for some of us that response gets a little out of whack, and it stays out of whack. And uh, that's, that, that's what happens with someone that develops an anxiety uh, disorder. And I think, you know, I've, when I've had moments of anxiousness, anxiety, I wouldn't say clinical anxiety, but, but when I've had moments of anxiousness, and then I have somebody in my life tell me, well, the Bible says don't worry, or that it's a sin to worry, or whatever, that makes me even more worried, because now I'm worried that I'm doing something sinful. And it's this vicious cycle when I, I read those passages uh, when when it says that, it's almost always tied to the presence of God. Don't worry because I'm with you, because of who Jesus is, because of what he's doing for you and doing with you. Um, you don't—I read it as, you don't have to be worried. You don't have to be anxious because I am with you, because you have these promises. Rather than—and I think it kind of goes back to one of the ways we tend to read the Bible. We tend to read the Bible just as a, a rule book, rather than—and um, and not to say that it's not—it doesn't contain rules, of course, but but there's also all of these promises that God gives to His people. And, and a passage that is supposed to bring us comfort, like a father saying to his child, you don't have to be afraid because I'm here with you, that should give us great comfort. But when we use it— as a rule to say, if you're worried, it's a sin because you're not trusting in God, well, then you've just compounded the problem and made the worried person even more worried when that passage itself ought to be giving them comfort and, and reassurance. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely right. We, we misuse those, those passages in a lot of ways. Uh, the causes for some people that have developed clinical uh, anxiety, and we, and we can talk in just a, just a minute about some of the different ways that anxiety can manifest itself in, in a clinical way. Uh, but the causes for that uh, are often, it's not just people just sitting in their room, just worried about everything. Uh, it, it's just like people that are facing depression. Uh, it, it's, we can't oversimplify that and just uh, think that they're just sitting around saying, woe is me. Uh, th- th- there's a lot more going on there. And um, there are genetic factors uh, that uh, may lead to that's why some some families are more prone to have clinical depression or clinical anxiety. 
uh, there's there's some genetic factors there. That's part of living in a fallen world, uh, that there are some people who are a little more predisposed uh, to that. Um, some people have faced trauma in their lives uh, that they have had nothing to do with. It's not a spiritual issue at all. It's something that's been done to them. They may have been abused as a child. They may have been in, in, uh, in war somewhere. They may have seen a shooting. They may have had a traumatic car accident. Uh, it's, uh, there's a number of different things that can, can happen that then set off a response physiologically, and it just shows that, that brain-body connection. What happens with an anxiety response? You know, I mentioned that fight or flight that, that God has built into each of us. Uh, the body, whenever it, it senses some type of danger or senses a situation that's not right, it, it sends adrenaline throughout the, the body. It just starts pumping that, that adrenaline. And I know there's some other hormones that are connected with that, but that's, that's the, a simplified way of looking at it is that adrenaline. So our heart rate goes up, you know, we, we get more on edge, those types of things. Well, well someone that develops an anxiety disorder, that adrenaline is going at times when it shouldn't be. Uh, so their heart rate is up, they're feeling nervous, they're experiencing other symptoms uh, such as sweating, they feel faint, uh, whatever other things are going on in their body, but it's, it's that adrenaline that is pumping in, at inappropriate times, and it, it starts a cycle, and you're absolutely right. If someone says that, well, you need to just stop worrying. Well, then they're worrying about the fact that they're worrying, mm-hmm. and that's that cycle just just continues. And so much of this is cyclical. Um, you know, you you don't sleep because these symptoms are going. You don't sleep well. Well, and then your body responds the next day and says, "Well, I haven't had enough sleep. Now I'm going to have to pump more of that adrenaline." And so this can very much set off a cycle for a, a lot of people. Uh, that is very difficult to break. It's not something as easy as just saying, well, you need to have more faith, you need to pray more, and uh, snap out of this, stop worrying. Um, so we really do people a disservice if we don't show them love, and we certainly don't try to to sympathize with them, even if we can't empathize with them, at least try to sympathize uh, with them and, and listen to them uh, rather than jumping in and, and offering uh, the counsel that we think is spiritual counsel, but it's yeah. really not what they need in the moment. Yeah. So when you when you handle this as a preacher and a Bible class teacher, how do you handle this when you're when you're talking to the congregation about uh, the spiritual implications or just ministering to them in their life and from the pulpit, especially in, in, in classes and things like that? How do you handle some of these issues regarding anxiety? Well, one of the principles that, that I've come to, especially as I've gotten older, is being open with sharing my experience. And I have found, I preached here in Rockville, I think about three years ago. I've been here about a year. You don't open up. It's kind of like on the first date, you don't get all your skeletons out of the closet with with whoever you're dating. Uh, But but over time, the more you get to know people, the more you trust them, the more you're going to open up uh, with them. And so I've been here about a year, and I thought this, this would be a really good topic to preach on because, I mean, statistically, I think it's about 18% of um, of people in America, just of Americans in general, uh, will face some form of a clinical anxiety disorder every year. Um, and my guess is that those statistics are going to be pretty accurate in our congregation. So we're, we're thinking one in five people in our congregations are dealing with some form of this within that year. 
And uh, so it's very much a relevant issue. And I know whenever I preach that sermon here, I got more feedback, more positive feedback, uh, more feedback of, hey, I needed that. Uh, you spoke about something that, that I deal with. I got more feedback from that sermon than any other sermon that I preached since I've I've been here. So one thing is, is to be open about it and to try to try to encourage a culture where we're more open about it. And other things too, you know, depression and other forms of uh, mental illness or at least challenges that our uh, congregation is, is facing. Uh, a lot of these things I think in the past have been taboo topics. People don't want to talk about them, but we need to be open about them uh, in order to be able to pray for each other, to be able to understand, to be able to, to heal. Um, so, so that's one thing. I, I strongly believe that part of the reason I've gone through this is, uh, is the principle from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that you draw the comfort from God and you do it so that you can then comfort those who are in a similar uh, distress. I try not to say I know exactly what you're going through, uh, because you know, as a minister, we, yeah. we, we can say that, and it's not it's not exactly true right. uh, because everyone's experience is a little bit different. Uh, but uh, to to at least say I've been through something that may be similar in some ways to what you're you're going through. So offering uh, from my own experience is, is one thing. Uh, the the next thing I would say is is to really show that the Bible itself speaks of comprehensive approach to treatment, comprehensive approach to uh, to overcoming or at least uh, to coping uh, with with something like anxiety. A story that I go to, uh, and it's not just specific to anxiety, but to to any mental illness or emotional challenges. First Kings chapter nineteen. Okay, you've got Elijah, who in the chapter before that, First Kings eighteen, is the big scene on Carmel, uh, where he's got the showdown happens and you know, victory for God over all these false gods. And he's on the high of highs, uh, at least we think he is. And then the next chapter, he's on the run for his life from Jezebel. And he's disappointed that things haven't, it hasn't been a complete victory as maybe he thought it, it was in the sense that, okay, everyone's going to be convinced. No, there's still opposition toward him. And he's afraid, and he he basically has a bit of a breakdown himself. He he, he sends his servant away. It's like firing your staff. Uh, he goes and sits down under the juniper tree, and he says, "God, take me. I'm ready to die." And uh, what I take from that passage, though, is then what happens after that. You've got a man who's in despair. He's in depression, and God doesn't just come to him and say, "Hey." You need to snap out of this, um, you know, just stop worrying, get back up on your feet and keep going. The first thing God does in that text, he cooks for him. Mm. He provides him some food. Yeah. So he, he addresses the physiological components. Then he touches him. He shows that his presence is there. They're with him, just offering that comforting touch. And then he listens to him. He lets Elijah talk first. And all that before he offers any counsel. And what I take from that is not only for for what I can receive from God, that God cares about what we might call holistic treatment, but also in our approach to other people. If they're facing something like anxiety or depression, 
that that we need to we need to there is a physiological component of it and for something like anxiety um, there there are some things that that we can change on a physiological level as part of a treatment plan medication there shouldn't be any shame in medication I'm not saying that medication is is necessarily what we want to encourage people to uh, to to go to uh, it, the first time they are experiencing anxiety symptoms, um, but medication can be helpful for a component of this. Part of what can happen is that the neurotransmitters in the, the brain that normally regulate that release of adrenaline, they can get thrown out of whack, and uh, they need they need some help. They need to be to be reset. So that can be very helpful. Um, there are things nutritionally. I know for me, it made a tremendous difference getting on a better diet, uh, taking some vitamin supplements that I wasn't before, drinking more water, trying to exercise more, trying to get out in the sunshine. Uh, that, that made a tremendous difference for me. All of that is part of a, a comprehensive uh, approach. Um, and, you know, pe- people would think, well, medication's a, a weakness. Uh, God, God uses medication in the scriptures. I, I mean, uh, I think of Hezekiah in Second uh, Kings chapter twenty. He he's got some illness that is going to kill him, and part of God's response to his prayer, part of the way that God expresses His grace to him, is through this this use of this cake of cake of figs. Is how the text describes it. There's a medicinal component uh, there. That that was a uh, something medicinal that he was to take as part of the treatment uh, for his for his illness. Uh, so God is certainly not opposed to, to medication. Uh, and I think that's a comforting thought for a lot of people. I think a lot of people feel guilt uh, over taking a medication, especially for something related to depression or anxiety. But those, those things can be helpful. Yeah, um, for sure. As, yeah, so, so that's the, the physiological part. And then the, the touch and the listening to people, that's a huge part of it uh, as well. So uh, yeah, that First Kings 19 is a text that I, I like to use to, to show people that these are things that, that we can offer to each other. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I think something you said earlier about all of these issues being part of the fact that we live in a fallen world, and, and I think that that's something that we don't often you know put together, maybe, that... that the fact that people die, the fact that people get cancer, the fact that uh, that we have decay and corruption and all of the things that are part of this world that we live in that are unfortunate consequences of the fall, um, I, I think that we don't necessarily put this in the same category, and we should. We should understand that the fact that we live in this world means that our bodies um, are subject to uh, to being broken, uh, and sometimes they're broken in, in a chemical imbalance sort of way. And sometimes one of the things, as you said, that we need is medicine. And we, we understand that when it comes to cancer. We understand that when it comes to um, something that's, that's physical that we can see. If, if there's a, a wound, we understand that we put medicine on it so that it keeps from being infected and we, we take antibiotics and all of these things. But then for some reason, there is this uh, shame attached to taking medication for uh, anxiety or depression. And we feel like, well, if I was a spiritual enough person 
or if I had the right attitude, or if I had enough faith, then I wouldn't have to take this medicine. And and I, I hate that anybody ever feels that way. And I think that as ministers that we have to do our best to dispel that. But but then unfortunately, I think that, I definitely unfortunately, there are people out there that actually say things like that sometimes. Every now and then, I think that that we're getting better as a culture, and we're getting better in the church at at not uh, shaming people for taking medicine. Um, and but but unfortunately, I'll hear every now and then somebody say something, and I just how, how do you deal with that when you hear somebody or you hear about somebody saying something um, negative towards those uh, that are seeking treatment and seeking help for uh, mental health issues? How do you deal with? Uh, dispelling those myths and dealing with the people that actually perpetrate those myths. That's a, <laughs> that's a tough one because I'm with you. I, I cringe sometimes when I hear some of the things that, yeah. that people say, but, but I do think it is getting better. Yeah, I, I do sure. think that people are more understanding of that, uh, that now than maybe they, they used to be. And I think part of that is, is we are becoming a little more open about discussing topics like this. Uh, and I think we're, we're seeing that um, that that this is uh, something that's a widespread issue that that people are facing. Uh, I, I think more than anything is just trying to show from even a biblical standpoint some of the passages we've already been talking about uh, that uh, even God itself, when He is addressing the issues people are facing in the Scriptures, even look at the ministry of Jesus. Uh, that he, he sees it as multidimensional. Uh, yeah. They're not just simple spiritual issues that are, are going on, that, that faith in and of itself uh, w- will be able to, to put back uh, to right. Uh, th- there's more complexity there. And so I, I think, and, and even looking at, like you said earlier, some of those passages that do address uh, not not worrying. I think looking at the context of those, um, and uh, for for instance, Matthew six, a classic passage uh, that when Jesus says, "Well, don't worry." Uh, well, specifically, what's what's he talking about there? It's it's in the context. It's right after don't don't serve two masters. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't really serve two masters, and, and right after that teaching about not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth because. They're only going to have a certain duration here. They're not going to endure forever. And he's really getting into one of the sources of worry. One of the issues there uh, is worry that is related to our uh, earthly security um, and to our finances uh, is largely what he's talking about in that context. And certainly that's that's one of the issues that we can end up uh, worrying about. From my experience and from talking with other people, anxiety uh, tends to, uh, worry tends to, uh, even if it's not clinical anxiety, but, but worry that could contribute to uh, clinical anxiety or could exasperate clinical anxiety. It tends to hang out either in the past or in the future. Mm. Uh, I'm convinced that God has given us enough um, He's given us what we need to deal with the stress of each day, and I think that goes along with Matthew chapter 6. But it's when we start either playing the what-might-have-been game about things that have gone on in the past, I'll start having regret or guilt over those, or when I do what Jesus says there, I start thinking about tomorrow 
and I'll start playing all the what ifs. Uh, what if this happens to me? What if this happens? That's when we get into to worry that that will be will set up a a pattern in your life that will rob your soul of of the riches that God has in store for you because you you are serving in a sense um, you're serving the wrong master you're not trusting in in Him with, with that type of of worry uh, but when we try to take that context and we try to apply it to every form of anxiety I I don't think that's that's the meaning there. And that that's so good. I love what you said about the past and the future. And and I was just thinking about how well the gospel speaks to both of those. The gospel speaks to uh, forgiveness of all of the mistakes that we've made in the past and taking all of that away. And then also the future. And if we're if we're convinced as I am and and as you are that all of this anxiety and depression and worry and, you know, both on a small scale and on a large scale, that all of it is the product of living in a fallen world and, and having these bodies that need redemption, um, how much the gospel speaks to the future hope that we have that that we will be redeemed and that, that Jesus is and has and will fix all of this. And, and so— while the gospel itself may not uh, take away my anxiety, uh, it may not take away a person's anxiety, and they, they they may need other treatments for those types of things, it certainly gives us hope that we will not always be suffering with these things, that someday in the future, Jesus is going to come and, and, and fix all of these things. Absolutely. And that's, that's a huge part of the biblical idea of hope, uh, which, as we know, is not wishful thinking, it's confident expectation yeah. uh, that the sufferings of this present time are just light, momentary. Uh, it doesn't diminish the fact that they're, they're very real mm-hmm. uh, to us. But in comparison with the eternal weight of glory, uh, they, that gives me a lot of comfort uh, to know that, uh, to have that, that hope that God holds, holds my future and the future of all of us. Uh, that's uh, that's got to be part of a comprehensive therapeutic approach uh, to breaking the pattern of, of negative thoughts that can camp out in that future uh, and, and contribute to the perpetuating an anxiety disorder. Yeah. So in closing, Caleb, is there anything else that you'd, you'd say on this issue to either to those that are, are suffering uh, with anxiety or maybe those that, that know people that either they may, they, there may be a lot of us that have people in our life that we know and are aware of their anxiety, and there may be a lot of us that, that have people in our life um, that, that we're unaware of the anxiety that they're dealing with. Yeah, I, I'll say a couple of a couple of things in closing. Um, one is a passage we haven't talked about yet, and that's uh, Philippians chapter four, and that one's that one's meant a lot to me. It, it's a lot about joy in all of your finding joy in your circumstances, but uh, you, you've also got that the message there of be anxious uh, for nothing. Uh, that uh, you know, to draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. All that is wrapped up there, and the contrast there um, is to to bring your concerns to God in prayer. And, and again, prayer is not—we we can't just simplify this and say, well, you're not praying enough if you're anxious. No, that's not the message there. 
But as part of a comprehensive treatment, prayer is, is a vital part of that. And it definitely was for me. Uh, you know, praying through the Psalms, getting into some of that uh, that language. And I, if I'm talking with someone who's, who's going through depression, anxiety, just about any kind of disorientation that they're experiencing, I tell them to start reading through the Psalms. Yeah. Uh, I think it is the the counseling manual of the Bible uh, because it is very blunt. It's honest. It's raw. It deals with every human emotion. Uh, it, the moments when we feel distant from God, the moments when we are worried, the moments when we feel like we're in darkness, uh, and it gives us permission to express those thoughts and and shows us how to do it, how to articulate those thoughts to God. So that's one of the, the first things that I would say is, is that if we can transfer uh, when the negative thoughts do come up, whatever the reason is behind them, and, but the negative thoughts, when they come up, if we can um, transfer that into prayer, as Jesus would say in Matthew 6, uh, worrying is not going to change one thing in the world. <laughs> I think about that a lot of times, yeah. you know, when we watch, when we watch the world news, uh, when we are facing um, uh, things that, that can fill our minds with even more negative thinking. Um, and I think all of us, you know, to some degree, have a tendency to just stew on those things. And we're not going to change them one bit by just stewing on them. If we can take them into prayer, if we can transfer that into to prayer, um, worry, in many ways, it's a trapping in of concern. It's good concern, but it's trapping it in. Prayer is releasing it. It's, it's giving it over uh, to God. And I think that's a healthy way uh, to deal with it. Um, also from Philippians 4, that verse 8 where it talks about, it gives us eight categories of things for us to, to try to focus our thoughts on. Um, and that passage meant a lot to me as far as whenever you get in those patterns of negative thinking, of at least uh, trying to, to grab those thoughts and take them captive as best that we, we can in those moments. And, and the, one of the best ways to replace yeah, it's just like anything. If you're battling anything, you can't just stop doing it. Um, you've got to find some healthy replacement uh, for that. And so trying to fill your, your thoughts with as many positive things as you can can help break that, that cycle. Um, so, you know, especially, I, I know for those who suffer with anxiety, a lot of it gets worse right before you go to sleep. Uh, it's when you lie down and then you have trouble sleeping. I have a rule even to this day, even though I'm not in a, a bad period of anxiety in my life and, and haven't been for, for a while, but I have a rule with my wife. Uh, there are certain things that we try not to talk about or, or do before we go to sleep. Um, I think it's a good rule for everyone. I, I don't watch the world news to see what's going on, not, not within the hour before I go to sleep. Um, we don't talk about finances. <laughs> we we don't. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting to where I don't want to check my Facebook feed before yeah, that time yeah, <laughs> because yeah, no there's so much negativity on there that it can it can make me anxious. So there are certain things that you just you have to find ways of again dealing with the stress of today, but not letting it not letting your yesterday and your tomorrow all get wrapped up into what you're trying to deal with today because that's just too much. It will overwhelm us. Man, that's good. That's good. I, I'll say one more thing, sure. Wes, and that is if you've got a family member that's, that's suffering with this or a friend, 
um, encourage them to have patience. This is not something that you're going to defeat overnight, uh, especially if you've, if you've developed real phobias or general anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder. All these are forms of anxiety uh, in a clinical forms of those. Uh, it's not going to get better overnight. It's, you're going to have to take small steps, but comprehensive approach, approach it physiologically, approach it um, emotionally. Don't be ashamed to, to see a therapist about it, uh, both a psychiatrist who may be able to help on the, the medical side and a Christian counselor, a licensed counselor to help walk you through just some of the behavioral uh, things that you could work on. Um, and then the spiritual issue, the spiritual component of it. Yes, we're saying that it's not just a spiritual issue, but definitely the spiritual component is part of the therapy. So just be patient with yourself if you're struggling with this. It will get better, but it will take time. I hope you found that conversation as encouraging as I did. If you haven't done so already, please make sure you subscribe to the Crosstalk Podcast so you don't miss the next episode. And it would really help others discover this podcast if you would leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.